Welcome back to Dads on the Air, coming to you around Australia on the Community Radio Network. In this program, we bring you informing and entertaining conversations with a wide range of interesting people on topics of fatherhood, family and parenting and men's and boys' issues. Hi, I'm Bill Cable, and with me in the studio today is Eric Johnson, an AMSIT and a Gaitai. Eric moved to Sydney from Shanghai a bit over a year ago, and while in Shanghai, he joined a group of men known as the Guy Ties of Shanghai. Eric, welcome to Dads on the Air. Bill, it's a pleasure to be here. So, Eric, uh, what is a Guy Tie? Shanghai, being the business center of China, has lots and lots of foreigners living there, factory managers and lawyers and so on. And uh, most of them, for whatever strange reason, tend to be guys that got sent there by their companies with trailing families. That's that's the older people. The younger people are whatever, uni students out for an adventure. And so it tends to be a guy who's like uh, a lawyer or a CEO or something like that. And then the wife is with and the kids. And so the guy's working all day and they'll get women lunch or work out or whatever. And in my case, it's the woman that got sent there. And therefore, I'm the trailing spouse, the male trailing spouse. Mandarin has a bunch of different words for wife, kind of like, you know, Eskimos and snow, I guess. (laughs) So they say. And uh, one of the words is tai-tai, which means the wife that doesn't work. And so we, uh, the male trailing spouses of Shanghai, christened ourselves the guy ties. Okay, so uh, Eric, um, who started the guy tie movement? Do you know anything about the history of it? Uh, there are a bunch of different guys in Shanghai that claim to have been at the genesis of it. I, uh, When I arrived in China in '09, there was a small group and it seemed to be led by a Swedish guy who later left. There's an American guy who uh, writes a column for one of the uh, ex, uh, expat newspapers in town that is called the Gaitai Corner, so he claims ownership. So I'm not actually sure where the where the name came from. It just sort of, you know, it's one of those things that's maybe buried in the sands of time. Mm. Well, the situation does seem to be coming more common around the world of uh, stay-at-home dads, if you like, or, who, or men whose uh, wives are actually going out to the workforce and uh, I think I can tell by your accent that you're uh, and, and, you, and you're an AMSIT so you're an American citizen definitely uh, and I saw an article in the New York Times saying that the um, the number of men in this situation has doubled over the last decade why do you think it is that there are more men now in the home because there are more richer women <laughs> I mean, uh, among those of us in Shanghai who styled ourselves guy ties, none of them were really um, stay-at-home parents, right, or housewives or house husbands. Everybody had a career. Everybody had a career before they came to China. And when they came to China, their wife was being paid well enough. And there was no obvious thing for them to do. So they basically said, well, why don't I take this chance to not work and see what that's like? Of course, everybody had something going on. My my Swedish friend Frederick was driving motorcycles around town, taking tourists on on visits. So that was a little sort of company that he had, you know, on those those kind of tricycles, the sidecar mm-hmm. motorcycles. And then I had a friend Richard who was taking a doing a graduate degree online from the University of Madison and whatever, whatever, whatever. So everybody had things going on. I, I continued doing some of the consulting and aid and development that's been my career. So I don't know whether this is necessarily a trend. I mean, certainly a trend toward uh, the gig economy. 
And to the extent that the gig economy gives, uh, it has lots of downsides, but it also gives whoever's in it uh, more flexibility. It means that dads maybe that used to have to put on a tie and leave home now maybe can cook the pancakes for the kids and put them on the school bus and then go do some gigging and then come back and be there in time for the kid to get home or, or to ferry them around to their after-school activities or whatever. So there's flexibility there, but, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly high-end flexibility in the sense of we can afford to do that because we are somehow well enough paid. In my case, my wife is a lawyer, so it's something that we can depend on her, her income. And I imagine there are more uh, families where uh, there's one income that's enough to support that. Mm. Um, but there's also a lot of families where, you know, even two incomes makes it hard. So I don't know if it's a trend or or just a, an artifact of mm. contemporary society. Well, you mentioned then the gig economy and it's an expression we're hearing quite a lot. What, what do you understand by that? Well, I think of it as uh, being able to work in a manner that you somehow advertise your availability to potential clients and potential clients find you and they call you up and they ask you to do something in, in particular, some very specific task and you do it. And then once you've done it, then your relationship with that client is over and you move on to looking for other relationships with other clients. So, I mean, Uber is the most obvious example and Airbnb because, you know, all of those relationships between customers and, and service providers are very ephemeral. And uh, my relationships with my clients aren't that ephemeral because they're usually international nonprofits that want my help with good governance projects in developing countries. So it's usually a, a, an ongoing relationship, but the kinds of things that I do for them are usually one-off in the sense of they'll call me up and say, can you help me write a proposal? And so mm -hmm. I'll go somewhere and, and help them write a proposal, and then that will be that. Or they'll say, can you come uh, to such and such a country and train a bunch of activists and journalists how to be cyber secure when they do their work? And so I'll do that. And then once it's done, it's done. Mm -hmm. So this is some sort of agreement you came to with your wife, that she would be working full-time and you'd be part of the, the gig economy or not work at all in some cases? No, it wasn't really ever quite planned that way. I mean, we both started out with full-time jobs back in the day, and my job kind of evolved into being more flexible, and her job, uh, as she moved up the ranks of, of the law profession, became better and better remunerated. And so the need for a second income became less, I guess, because we're both from farms. So it's not like we're super ambitious. You know, we don't once we have enough money, we're happy. We don't mm. particularly need to buy a yacht or an airplane. So it's not so much an agreement as just it sort of worked out that way. I mean, it's I still do plenty in the family. Right. I manage the kids and I manage the parents and the parents in law and I manage the the, the, the investments and, and, and I manage the household staff, which sounds silly to say, but it's definitely something. Maybe that's what you meant by ama as a, as a sort of a yes. maid. Yeah? It's a, I think that's, I guess that's an Indian word. In, in China, we would call them ayis, which means auntie. But yeah, I mean, that's certainly that was that's part of the responsibility of whoever's working less is to manage the staff. Yes, I have to say it's not a problem of mine managing the staff. <laughs> but um, So uh, you've, you've, uh, you moved to Shanghai from where in the States? From, from Paris, actually. Oh, spent a decade in China, before that a decade in Paris, before that uh, the Russian-speaking world, lived in Moscow and Kiev, so haven't lived in the U.S. for quite a while. Ah, and now you're in Australia, and uh, how are you finding it in Australia with the, this lifestyle you've chosen? Oh, the quality of life is just stunningly great, but it's, uh, I guess, compared to Shanghai, it's a little bit boring in the sense of, you know, Shanghai's got a lot of challenges, and, and Australia, or Sydney... If you have the resources, it's a very nice life. So it's a little bit less challenging. <laughs> yes. So I guess I have to go looking for the challenges. I'm not sure if they've finished building Shanghai, but I was there some years ago and it looked like the biggest building site I've ever seen in the world. So. Yeah, I would say uh, 15 years ago, Shanghai was a super big building site. And, and it, they're still doing some building, but 
Um, now that's kind of moved more toward uh, more more distant cities. So Shanghai has you know four or five, or China has four or five really big cities, and then there are the second tier cities and the third tier cities. And to some extent, some of that construction has moved out or percolated down to the smaller cities. By smaller, I mean the only four million person cities, as opposed to the twenty four million person cities. Mm, we're speaking today with Eric Johnson, who is a guy tie uh, now living in Australia. And we're going to take a short break now. Um, Eric has picked a song for us. Eric, could you tell us which song you picked and why you picked it? Um, the, the, this song, Got No Roots, is one of my favorites. I mean, it, it's a really catchy tune. I'm not, I don't generally pay as much attention to the lyrics, and so I really love the tune. And then eventually, having heard the song enough times, I thought I should learn the lyrics, so I went to read, read on them, and I realized that it has a lot of resonance for me because I've been quite mobile in my life, lived in many countries, and... And I kind of like that. It's not totally apropos because I do have a strong root. I'm from a, a farm in the Midwestern American state of Iowa, and my parents are still on that farm, and my brother's on that farm, and I get back to that farm every every year for some time. So I, I do have that root, but most of my friends think of me as rootless because of my peregrinations.
find them. We're back with dads on the air. And that was No Roots by Alice Merton, chosen for us today by our special guest, Eric Johnson. And we've been speaking about the uh, guy ties in various parts of the world. And it is a worldwide movement, isn't it? I mean, you've, you've found it in Shanghai. I'm not sure if you've found anything similar in Australia, but is it, uh, it is in some parts of Europe, I understand? Well, my perception of it is that it's very much a, a something that happens more in places where um, Westerners get sent, and therefore there's more likely to be a trailing spouse. And it's in a place where uh, the environment might make it difficult for the trailing spouse to work. You know, so if you're a trailing spouse in Shanghai, you can't just go out and get a job very easily because besides the labor laws, there's the fact that you probably don't understand very much of your environment. You don't speak the language. There's plenty of local people to do those jobs much more cheaply than you. So I suspect it's a stronger thing in Shanghai. I do know there's a strong Gai Tai group in Singapore, not least because that's where some of the Shanghai Gai Tais went to. I know there's a smaller one in Beijing. I've heard of one in um, Belgium, Brussels, I think. And that might be because uh, bureaucrats get assigned to Brussels and trailing spouses come along and, and maybe there is such a thing. So I haven't found anything like it here. I've looked for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found a few other guys who are maybe not as completely gainfully employed as, as their spouses, but most people are kind of up, up to one thing or another. And I haven't heard of any such thing that's organized. I've even signed up to be a meetup organizer. If you're familiar mm. with meetup, the, the, the app, and I've tried to organize a few meetups, but nothing's come of that. I, I like going to a few of the meetups that are, that have to do with things that I like, like crypto or privacy or aid or whatever, but I haven't, I haven't found a, mm. a guy ties group per se here. Yes, I, I think we've still got a fair way to go in Australia as far as um, the the men not working or not working in the traditional way of going off to work in the morning and coming home at night. Um, I think that's still sort of regarded as the norm. So maybe there's got to be a bit more acceptance of that role before people start thinking about guy ties or, or even setting up uh, organisations for it. Well, there's an element to that, but there's also, I'm sure there's a strong economic element. I mean, the the guy type thing in my case is, it's like it's a it's a nice problem if you can have it, right? It's it's a result of the of all of these relatively wealthy Westerners being posted to China and 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 the guys not not having to work maybe or or having the luxury of not working. Um, in my case and in the case of many of the other guy ties in Shanghai, um, we didn't really have a lot of home responsibilities because. If you have enough resources and you live in a developing country like China, you know, it's not too difficult to, to, to hire somebody to take care of the kids. You've got the nanny and the cook and the driver. And and so you aren't doing a lot of maybe the household chores that you might think of the stay-at-home spouse doing, I guess. Well, it seems that you had three staff there. You've got a, a driver and you've got a, a cook and you've got a, is it a house cleaner as well? <laughs> well, and all the tutors for the kids and, yeah. So how would a, a, a guy tie uh, typically fill his, fill his day? Well, um, like I said, some of my friends were studying, so they do studying. I think a lot of them would probably fill their day with kind of nonsensical stuff like surfing the Internet, reading. I mean, reading is always good, so I did some reading. Um, uh, I spent a lot of my time chatting with friends around the world, which to some extent is business development. To, to some extent, it's keeping abreast of my field. And to some extent, it's actually trying to help people because part of my career, my first degree was in math. So part of my career is in trying to help uh, activists stay safe in difficult countries. And so I was, you know, on the various instant messaging apps, 
dispensing advice or, or getting in touch with people who looked like they were in trouble and trying to help them out. So it's not, not strictly guy tie type stuff, but it's kind of, uh, I don't know, you could call it a hobby, but it's kind of work-related, I guess. And uh, the guy ties would organize activities like go to a, a brewery or go to a, I don't know, a race, a race meeting or, yes. or all sort, those sorts of yes. activities, wouldn't yes. they? At a minimum, we had a monthly lunch. And that's still going on. And we would move that around town to various breweries, microbreweries. And that was always good. We'd get somewhere between 10 and 30 people showing up. We had about 200 people on our mailing list. So it was a pretty reasonably sized group. Uh, and then uh, anybody among us who seemed uh, sort of initiative taking would find something to do and uh, sort of just organize something, arrange it, make it happen. And so I would, uh, I think our signature activity actually, strangely, was visiting factories. Yeah. <laughs> So sure, there are museums to visit, and we did some of that. But the interesting thing about Shanghai, from a foreigner's point of view, one of the interesting things is that it's, I mean, China's the factory to the world, right? We all know that's where all of our stuff comes from. So, but where's it Where's it made? Well, okay, let's go see if we can find that. So we organized a visit to the, the SAIC, the car factory. You can actually see SAIC vehicles around Sydney. Uh, we went to the Coca-Cola bottling, bottling plant. We went to a bicycle factory. We went to... A, a uh, robotics factory, we went to an IKEA factory, you know, just around Shanghai, there are literally thousands and thousands of factories churning mm. out everything from the cheapest to the most expensive. And uh, we would just, whenever we could f find an inn to a place, get some manager who was willing to let us in, we'd, we'd go out and spend a couple hours getting a tour of the place. Mm. And apart from all those interesting things to do, um, was, it, was there a sort of a basic need you felt for guys to spend time with guys instead of uh, you know, the usual mixed situation? I think we just were just looking for friends, you could say. Um, you know, China's for, for a Westerner, China can be a lonely place, a little bit alienating because uh, the, the culture is it's not uh, it doesn't push us away, but it doesn't make it super easy to get into. I mean, the language is obviously a very big barrier. Uh, the degree to which somebody that you meet might be welcoming is varies a little bit depending on maybe the current political climate. It might be a little bit more difficult now than five years ago, given the trade tensions between the U.S. and, and China. But more generally, we're just looking for friends, and it's hard to find Chinese mm -hmm. friends. I mean, Chinese are most likely out there hustling. Shanghai's a, a hustling mm -hmm. city. It's a business city. Everybody's doing something. Everybody's in a hurry. Everybody's got something to sell or buy. And, and we aren't in a hurry, and we're sort of looking for comradeship, I guess. I think if, well, I mean, buddies around the world say, so Eric, how is it in Sydney? And I'm like, well, it's great, but, you know, I'm kind of looking around for friends, I guess, because it's not terribly easy to find friends anywhere. You're always looking for people who are somehow like you. And certainly if you're a Westerner in Shanghai and your wife is working and you're not, well, you already have some things in common with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and we enjoy, the guy ties in Shanghai enjoy our varied experiences with because there's just quite a bit of diversity among nationalities. So we'd have the Americans and the French and the Swedes. And sometimes we'd have a few, you know, we had a guy from Zimbabwe and we had a guy from Slovenia. And we even had a couple of Chinese. That was actually one of the weirdest things. We were not, uh, we didn't style ourselves an expat club. It kind of worked out that way. But if some Chinese guy were to stumble upon us and, and show up, we would like, welcome him and we had a couple of chinese friends and that was they tend they tended to be chinese who had gone abroad and then come back so they were uh expatriatized a little bit mm. so they were a little bit more familiar most chinese that i would mention this guy tied to thing to they'd be like you are really weird <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on uh, on the other side are there is it a 
a caring organisation? I mean, if you find some of your members are doing it really tough, will, will some of you then take him that person under your wing to look after him? Uh, I don't know that we, you know, we're guys, so we don't we don't mm-hmm. confess to each other. So I'm not sure that we would um, get quite that close just because probably most of us would, you know, feel nervous about opening up in that way. Um, certainly we were perceived that way. Um, over time, every time a, a, a major Western company would send somebody to China and the person they were sending was a woman, then they would include in their welcome packet for the family a little flyer about us. Mm. Partly, not so much because the guy, the trailing spouse would, would be in trouble, but it would be more, be more like you got to keep your employees happy. If, you're, if your woman CEO is uh, being pulled to leave China because her spouse is unhappy, well, that's bad for the company. Mm. So the companies want their spouses, and they do this for the women women trailing spouses as well. They just try to help people fit in. And there are all sorts, Shanghai's just full of social clubs of various sorts to try to make, make things be uh, welcoming for those trailing spouses. And uh, are you okay with, um, with having the the wife in the family being the powerful money-earning person where you don't feel um, emasculated, emasculated, intimidated. Uh, You know, a lot of men seem to react badly to that situation. No, I can't. I can't imagine why it would be a bad thing to be a kept kept man or a boy toy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't exactly think of myself as those, but it seems to me a fine thing. I mean, uh, I guess I grew up in a family where the gender roles were pretty equal. My mom was a professor and my dad was a farmer. And so she was the one who was bringing home the, the paycheck to the extent that there was. I mean, we weren't rich, but uh, in my family, we share those roles. I mean, I in many ways, I, I manage the household partly because I have the time, but also I guess I'm a little bit more inclined to, to be bossy. And my wife just likes what she does. So she does it. It sort of works out so far. Mm. And do you have any recommendations for an expat turning up in a foreign city? Uh, well, there are new tools available. The Meetup is a good one because it, it enables you to sort of like see if there are any groups that are happening nearby that you can sort of crash into. One of the mechanisms that I've found in most of the cities I've lived in is the social life that can surround the school. If you have kids, then you've got your kids going to school and your kids have friends and those friends have parents. And so you try to find out who those parents are and see if there are any that live nearby because they're likely to be somewhat similar to you one way or another because your kids are similar because they're going to the same school. Um, I will often pull my networks. I mean, another way it's a lot easier now than it used to be is you've got your social networks, you know, send out a put a, put a little posting on your Facebook page that say, says, I'm going to wherever. Uh, I went diving not too long ago in PNG and I put a little post up saying, anybody been to PNG? And a couple of people pop up among your friend list saying, oh yeah, you know, I was there as a missionary in the seventies or whatever, whatever, mm. whatever. Mm. And you, you can kind of uh, um, collect advice from a lot of different sources that way. Yeah. Well, look, it's a very interesting look into another world that uh, many of us aren't familiar with, but uh, Eric, we've reached the stage of the show where we ask our guests to pick a song again, and you've picked a second one for us today. Can you tell us which one? Uh, the second one is Modern Jesus by an Alaskan rock group called Portugal the Man. And again, this was one of those situations where I just really liked the tune and then eventually looked up the lyrics and and found the lyrics very congenial because they're basically saying uh, we can believe in ourselves. We don't need to depend on religion. And I guess that's sort of always been something that's resonated with me.
That was Modern Jesus by Portugal the Man, and that was chosen for us today by our special guest, Eric Johnson. Uh, Don't forget, uh, we'd love to hear from any of our listeners. You can go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, send us an email, and we'll be in touch. If you'd like to listen to this show again or any of our shows, go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. So it just remains for me today to give a special thank you to our guest, Eric. Thank you very much for being on the program. My pleasure, Bill. And we'll be back next week with another show on Dads on the Air.